Well, this week we don't really have uh, news to go over. Uh, instead, I'm gonna uh, you'll you'll hear an interview from uh, Duffy at at, at Covalent, and uh, he's gonna go over uh, some EBPF stuff from uh, Explore US 2022. Wait, what year has this been? 2022. It is 22. I'm really excited by the EBPF stuff. Uh, I, I I started to read about it recently, and it's really interesting. So yeah. we'll have to we'll have to have an episode where you kind of explain what the deal with that is, and uh, maybe you can do a YouTube short where you explain it all, like EBPF in 60 seconds. That that would that would be fun. I would love to know enough to be able to record that video. I don't yet, but uh, but yeah, it looks fascinating. So I thought what we would do uh, right before uh, I play that interview, which will be coming up, uh, it's, and it's an interview again from Explore 2022 that Alex Williams of the New Stack and I did uh, with, with Duffy after his talk. I kind of vaguely remember it, so it'll be fun to listen to it again. But, you know, we have, we have the, the best conference for developers and uh, platform engineer types and operators and also managers who are getting their organization better at software coming up December 6th to 8th in San Francisco, Spring 1. And uh, I thought uh, Ben and I would share one talk we're, we're looking forward to there uh, this, this episode. Now, if you're listening to that and you want to register, you can get $200 off with the code COTE200. And, you know, Ben, you, you pointed out uh, yesterday when we were talking about this, there's actually a track missing from Spring One. What, what is that track? I think this was a good insight. There is. I think every conference always has this missing track. Whenever you see the agenda, there's a track missing. The hallway track. It's oh! Like, it, it's the track, right? It's the place where you can go to solve your problems. Whatever problem you have, there's a hallway track for you. And, and I, think, I think that was a, uh, you know, obviously that's being a little clever, but that's, that's fine. That's good. Because it is, I think, especially, you know, after three or so years, it's, it's uh, easy to forget that, like, a huge part of the value is uh, not just seeing people and hanging out with them, but getting the chance to actually ask questions and kind of like, I don't know, most people who are implementing this kind of stuff in the old, uh, the old application development and, and cloud native and container stack and all this, like there's a whole bunch of idiosyncratic weird stuff uh, that they have to put up with. And really having someone to discuss it with is, uh, is quite handy. Like, one of my colleagues was reminding me, or not reminding me, he was telling me back in uh, at our last in-person conference, or maybe the second to last, I think 2019 was the last one, right, Ben? If I remember, it might have even been in Austin, of all places. You mean in person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Austin, definitely, yeah. And, and there, there was, uh, you know, there was, there was, I think it was a panel discussion or a keynote or a talk, and like someone from Cerner had been talking about how they had been using... Uh, um, you know, uh, Spring and and uh, uh, I think at the time Pivotal Cloud Foundry stuff, and then someone from Wells Fargo was up there, and then afterwards, you know, uh, people were able to talk to those individuals about how they were securing things and uh, setting them up. And if you imagine that all over the conference, especially when it comes to the the development topics, since there'll be so much Spring stuff there, you really get the chance to just uh, go talk with people and have the conversation you're having to uh, solve things out. And to that end. The talk I wanted to highlight, uh, I was looking through the talks again this morning, is we have one from uh, Joseph at, at the U.S. Army. And it's basically an overview of how they've been. Um, he doesn't actually say it in the abstract, but for us industry insiders, Ben, I'll use, I'll use the, the summary word, how they're doing DevSecOps stuff, how they're you know securing the software, the code that they have, the process of doing it, and uh, hopefully all the way up to like the, the runtime environment they're using. I think, I forget, you know, I think, 
the U.S. Army uses both the Tanzu application service and uh, Kubernetes-based stuff, uh, like a lot of people. But it'll that'll be a good talk, one, to see how they're securing things. Because I figure, you know, uh, if, if the Army's not doing some security thing, it probably doesn't need to be done. So whatever it is they're doing is probably the maximal amount of security you would ever care about. Uh, and, and so that'll be nice. But then afterwards, uh, you know, I don't want to put some some work on them. But, you know, you could ask questions uh, during the talk or maybe try to uh, blockade speakers from leaving the room until the the kind AV people are like, oh, we've got the next speaker coming up. Could, could y'all move it out into the hallway? But it'll probably it'll be, you know, setting up your securing all this stuff is um, there's all sorts of great standards and ways of doing it. But as uh, as Oren, who was a many many a couple of months ago uh, talked about when he was on here like a lot of securing the stuff is the non-code stuff around policy and putting together your uh, your CISO oriented stuff so that would be another the kind of conversation you could have with them and other people who are there uh, so you can see the listing if you go to uh, spring1.io and, and look for uh, US Army or Joseph and I'll put a link to it in the show notes at tanzutalk.com but how about you Ben What's what's one talk you think you're you're looking forward to that maybe crosses over into this missing track? Absolutely. So, uh, oh, apologies. If you can hear that, that's the sound of a platform being built. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm having a platform built, so apologies if you can hear that. But uh, yeah, I, I picked out um, one of my favorite people to listen to, Brian Chang, who is uh, taking basically. Um, a whole bunch of people and doing a panel. You talked about panels just a second ago. And sometimes I find a panel strangely comforting somehow. There's lots of people to see, there's folks to listen to, and they've all got different perspectives on a particular problem. So um, Brian's running running, uh, the Tanzu Vanguard panel, and it's entitled Priceless Insights. So uh, (laughs) reading, (laughs) reading a little bit from the description, um, it's basically the super user community for VMware Tanzu coming together to talk about various different problems from different perspectives. And the two perspectives that I'm pretty sure you're going you're gonna to hear about from this particular talk, one is the kind of deep dive into something technical. What that could be could is something that will be decided probably on the day, but it will be something deeply technical, I'm sure. And then at the same time, you'll also have this kind of um, management aspects of that. You know, how do we optimize our organization to realize this new thing, whether it's DevSecOps or whether it's, uh, you know, platforms or whatever it might be. So I'm really looking forward to that one because there's also an audience Q&A. So it's built into the talk. You know, it's not sort of a couple of minutes at the end. It's kind of we're definitely going to dig deep into the experience of all these folks on the stage. And we've got some really, really good uh, folks on the stage as well. I'll, I'll read the list. We've got uh, Greg Mayer, who uh, works for VMware. I know, I know Greg, and he uh, does some great stuff, for example, with accelerators on the Tanzu application platform. Uh, we've got Jim Cole from uh, Great American Insurance. We've got Jim Fox, also from Great American Insurance. And we've got Kelly uh, Schaffler, uh, sorry, Schaffer, also, uh, sorry, from uh, One Magnify. She's a senior IT director. So... We've got a good mix of technologists and, and management type folks in there. So I'm pretty sure you'll get um, a varied and quite interesting talk as a result. So I'm looking forward to that one. Priceless Insights by the Vanguards. 
Well, I have to say, you you picked as as we used to say before I was born a real humdinger there, because I uh, I also had that one on my list of of talks I was looking forward to, and I think uh, I think there's at least one person on that panel, if not two, who were, we uh, we had we had as as they say in the business a webinar, or you could just call it an online talk. We I I, I moderated a panel with uh, several of the Vanguard about. Uh, like the use of metrics in in their organization, you know, doing software, and it was it was great to talk with them, and it was a good example of like of like the things you can do in person at a conference is, uh, you know, when we were, we were doing it online, but you know when we were discussing it ahead of time and talking with each other, there was we came up with, uh, you know, new ideas and new t- things to talk about with relation to metrics, and there was even a few. Sort of like, oh, I never thought about it that way. And questions the panelists had on each other and how they were tracking things. And fun fact, uh, that's when I was uh, in the U.S. last. And I actually uh, had that conversation in the middle of Texas on I-35 uh, in a Starbucks parking lot because I needed to use the Internet, which was uh, quite... Thankfully, I had a nice car that I could sit in and do it. And then I went inside and uh, I had some of those sous vide egg things, uh, the, the Mediterranean one, I believe. And did the internet that you were using also have a big key that was changed to like a lavatory seat? <laughs> exactly, just like just like in that movie, The Jerk. It was a a, a tire rim that it was uh, it was secured to. Yep, <laughs> that's right. But yeah, that'll be a good panel. And to to Ben's point, right? Like uh, there there should be at least a third of it. I would hope, if not more, where you can ask whatever you want, uh, whether it's off topic or not, and uh, have that conversation going. Well, anyhow, uh, to check out those two talks and other ones, obviously, I'll put a link in the show notes to those exact panels at tanzutalk.com. But you should go check out the rest of them. If you go to springone.io and you click on, I think it's schedule, and then you click on breakout sessions, you can scroll through those. And, uh, you know, there's other stuff there. As, as Ben has mentioned several times, there's workshops, all sorts of them, uh, mostly focused on programming, but there's some operational ones. And I just realized there's also a whole .NET day a whole .NET conference uh, going on as well for those in the .NET world. Um, and if you register, uh, you can use the code COTE200 to get $200 off, uh, which, you know, just think of how many hot dogs that would buy uh, if, if you're into that. W- whether they're real meat, beef, pork, whatever it may be, that's a lot of hot dogs you could, you could purchase, which, you know, us at VMware are going to be lacking that amount of hot dogs because you'll, you'll be getting a discount, but... We would like you to enjoy the hot dogs in, instead of us. Now, this talk of hot dogs, I can't help but think of everything, everywhere, all at once. The new movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where, <laughs> where there's a, a complete parallel universe where everyone's fingers are hot dogs. If you haven't seen it. Exactly. You got to see, see it. It's crazy. That's right. It's, it, it's sort of like the, uh, the cute and endearing Rick and Morty instead of being, uh, you know, very nihilistic and, and offensive. Uh, indeed. Well, on that note... What, what you'll hear next is uh, from Explore 2022. Uh, so, you know, we had, a, we had a stage there and we had five people from, I don't know, I would say basically the like, the like cloud container Kubernetes-ish software development startup world come out. And uh, we have one from, uh, uh, we, Duffy from Isovalent did a talk about eBPF, about kind of um, doing networking stuff, as, as I'm always joking, you know, lay, layer six and a half, uh, you know, uh, networking kind of at the service mesh type of layer uh, and kind of how eBPF does that. And obviously a little bit about isovalent, if, as I recall. And then afterwards, he came over and talked with Alex Williams uh, and I. 
And uh, it was a fun interview, of which I remember precious little. So when I'm editing it in, I'll have to uh, see how great it was by listening to it. Uh, and we'll be back next week uh, with a little bit of news and, and other stuff. Enjoy the interview. So Duffy Cooley. Yes. You know, one of, those, one of the things you're talking about is the security issues that we see in networks. Yep. Is that an identity issue at, at heart? And is that kind of what you're getting at? It can be, yeah. I mean, basically, you know, what we're, this is actually one of those things that we learned from, kind of from that NYSERA exercise or from OpenBeast, which are network virtualization in general, right? Was that, um, you know, in many, of the, in many of the things that we have invented before, we've kind of re-implemented the network just as it was designed before without really bringing any other capability to it, right? And so when we were thinking about how, you know, the shape of Cilium and like what we were trying to develop here, we realized that we needed to actually support things like identity as a base primitive in connectivity between things, right? We need that just to be in there from the beginning. So with Cilium, whenever you actually uh, associate an endpoint, um, whether that's an application in Kubernetes or some other application running on a Linux server somewhere, we give it a unique identity and then you can write network policy that is like, that, that basically allows you to enforce that um, network access by identity rather than by IP or by any of that. But before I go any further, I'm Alex Williams of the New Stack, yep. Duffy Cooley of Isovalent, and my co-host, host of the VMware Tanzu podcast, Michael Cote. Plus he does a lot of other things, but Michael, we were talking about security, but we were also talking about why do we need this new kind of approach? That's right. Yeah, you know, so I don't really know much about networking, so, so maybe you can help me out, but it seems like, and you were touching on this, it seems like what I see from my perspective of ignorance in, in you know, the last 10 years of networking is like, there's this tension between like static and dynamic. And like those of us who live way up the stack are always like wanting to change things around all the time to be ephemeral, as you were saying. And yeah. it seems like as you go lower down the network stack, they don't like that, <laughs> right? And so like we sort of like, I don't even know, I mean, I mean, tell me what your perspective on this is, but it seems like there's not really even a meeting in the middle. It's like us on the top of the stack are sort of like, all right, well, how about we put some new layers on there, right? And like it seems, I don't know, I mean that, <clears throat> That tension seems weird is the wrong word, but it's kind of like an oddity of Unusual. like... Unusual. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like at some point, and, and I only mean this in like an exploratory best way, but like, shouldn't the network people figure that out? <laughs> or, or like what, where, where does like, where do the cultures like differ and like, why so many layers? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, quite, a, there's quite a lot, of, there's quite a, quite a lot to chew on there. So I'm going to begin from the beginning. I, I would say that like, you know, in my career, I have actually, I've, I've worn many of those hats. I, right. I've worked as a network architect for DSL networks across the country, and I've worked all the way up into, you know, basically reinventing networking and network virtualization, and now I'm kind of working on a networking solution that really implements itself at the application layer. I would say that for the most part, what I've seen uh, over time is that a lot of network architectures are now kind of moving toward a place where they are considered plumbing. And you have to think mm. about 
that plumbing as highly available, can handle all the water or whatever else is passing through. Right. You know, that, that, that is the biggest part of your challenge, right? And where you're hooking that plumbing up are servers at this point, right? And that, that's kind of like, that has become the way that we think about that underlying network for the most part. Yeah. Right? Um, and now, but that, that doesn't really, but that introduces a new set of problems, right? So now that we've got this plumbing thing worked out, we're really good at that. We've come up with clause networks. We've come up with all kinds of great ways to handle moving all of these bits back and forth. How can we, you know, revisit or improve the security model of those applications that are consumers of that network? Yeah. Now, for the most part, I would say that this is where that division comes in. This is what I mean by that things have changed a bit, right? A lot of network architects are just focused on the plumbing problem anymore. And the application and the developers and the platform security folks and, and those folks are now suddenly on the hook for solving that security problem. Right. They've, they've kind of like, that by they, I mean the networking people have pushed responsibility upward yeah. in, in, in some actually kind of awesome sleight of hand, right? Yeah. Like, and because usually, like, you know, again, I have an application development background, right? And you're always, this is not exactly how you put it, but you're always trying to be ignorant of what's below you, yeah. <laughs> right? I and, mean, you want, yeah. and this is almost like a reversal of that flow of like, yeah. hey, how about you're very knowledgeable of like the layer right, right below you. Exactly. And now, but what's interesting now with like different orchestration systems like Kubernetes and, and, and others that are out there, what we've seen is that like, we're, you know, the platform folks and people who are writing software for the platform folks are, are thinking about how can we make it so that people who are in the application business can just tell us what should be okay, what should be allowed or not yeah. allowed, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, as an application developer, which services your application should be talking to. Right, right, right. And me as a networking guy, I, I don't care, right? Like, <laughs> I just yeah. want to know, I just want to know, like, what you should be doing so that I can put some reasonable guardrails around that. So right, that right, right. You, 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 want, you want the people as a network person up the stack to specify what they need. Yeah. I mean, when I hear myself saying that, it sounds ridiculously obvious, but as opposed to Giving you proactively being in charge of, of all the intricacy of the networking stuff that happens, is, as, as you were saying, is something as complicated as an app running in Kubernetes, right? Because exactly. there's a lot going on there. One of the other shifts in paradigm in, in this particular case that has always really blown my mind is that, you know, from a traditional networking background, you spend a lot of your time defining, your, you spend a lot of your time like looking for primitives that you can use as identities so that you can write firewall policies that restrict access between things in multiple areas, right? Yeah. Say I have databases over here and they have financial records and I have my applications over here and they have like access to that financial record information. And I want to make sure that only those ones that are supposed to have access to that financial information have it. Sure. So I need some form of identity again, right? I need to have, have some place to start. And so traditionally what I've had to do was I'd say, these applications are only going to have these IP addresses. And then I can say these IP addresses have access to the database. And woe be to anyone who figures out how to get an IP address into that subnet because right, they'll right. be able to get around it and you know, do all that stuff. What's changed though is that with a lot of these orchestration systems, now what we're writing network policy is on is label sets. So we label every endpoint. You see this in right. Illumio, you see this in Kubernetes, you see this in everything yeah. now. Right? You just write you, you label everything and then you say things with this label can talk to things with this label. Which as a networking guy was a huge paradigm shift. Right, right, right. It made this whole thing so much simpler than it ever had been. Right, because uh -huh. not only do you escape uh, numbers, 
as your primary currency. But yes. like you're saying, you can start having groups of things that are labeled something. It, it gets back to identity. Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, just the search for it. And like, how do we, how do we make that identity either as atomic as it needs to be, or at least in a way that we can, you know, enforce that, that security there. But can we back up a little bit because yes. why have we, why do we need all this new stuff? Oh like, yeah, that was the question I was. That was a question that Michael was posing. Like, like I was reading a story that you have on the Cilium site mm -hmm. about the history of networking, essentially. Yeah. And a lot of it gets down to the hardware versus the software story in many ways. But, but why? What? What? What was? What was happening of 10, 15 years ago that put us on this path? You know, um, I've, I got to work at CoreOS for about a year before it was acquired by Red Hat. And one of my absolute favorite talks that um, Brandon Phillips, who was our CTO, yeah. gave, I think he really raised the point that where, where things changed in a really approachable way that really blew my mind. He said every day, you know, another 20,000 people are logging onto the internet for the first time. Yeah. And worldwide, at the time, I think it was, there were 20,000 individuals working in IT that understand this problem. Ah. We are significantly outmanned. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, we cannot possibly, with the technology and the practices and the, and the procedures and everything else that we had 15 years ago, solve the problem of today, let alone the problem of but why, tomorrow. Why was that? at capacity because there are more people consuming more services, consuming the internet, putting their photos up, getting Gmail, getting all of these applications. And what resulted from that on the back end as a result with more people and more people and more people? So what resulted in is basically a change in the way that we think about infrastructure. Right? Ah. Now we, you know, at the time we were thinking, you know what, if you, if you rack 20 servers and you have an application stack on each of those 20 servers, that was enough. But it was an overload issue. Yeah. And so you couldn't add more servers. Because you couldn't have enough cable, enough buildings, yeah. enough yeah. machines. And this is where you end up with like containerization taking over, right? Because we figured out a way to actually put hundreds of these applications onto a single server. And we figured out a way to actually manage the life cycle of them so that you could change them very quickly without having to go through all of the time it would take to change that 20 application stack on 20 servers probably. But now the, the, the networking, as I understand it, for instance, the eBPF, is as much about the application, the service, maybe the load balancer, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the security layer, the yep. firewall. I mean, you were talking about Facebook, for instance, right? Yeah. You know how they how do they use it? They uh, they they leverage EBPF to actually handle what they call um, I think it's called Cantran. Or they, it's their load balancing layer in front of all of the properties at, at Facebook. So if you have any service that is a part of a Facebook page. There will be a load balancer, usually more than one, between the, the your phone and say that particular service, and all of those load balancers are implemented in eBPF. So is eBPF enough? I think eBPF gives us quite a lot of capability to dig into this problem in a very material way, right? Like, and again, it changes the way that our entry point is. What isn't enough, for sure, <laughs> is if we're only looking at packets as they enter the network or leave the network. Because, like you know, like I was saying, uh, if you look at like if you're looking at evaluating networking equipment today or firewalls or any of that stuff today, right? You you measure the capability of that piece of equipment in packets per second, right? And this kind of speaks to that 
scale problem that we're talking about. Packets per second, that's, that's the way you measure it. If it's a firewall or a network switch or any of these things, that's what you're looking at. With uh, EPF, we can actually make decisions about whether to allow or deny traffic, drop packet, I mean, drop, drop this traffic before it ever even moves up the stack and becomes a packet. We can see that traffic and make this routing decisions about it before it even enters the network, uh, before it ever hits the wire or any of that stuff. So really with eBPF, it gives us the capability of actually moving so much closer to the source of this, of, of this huge scale problem that we can really have a very significant effect in changing the way that we think about the solution. So, you know, in, in the, uh, uh, the Kubernetes world, there's this constant sort of consternation about like, well, developers should do this or they should not do this, yeah. like, you know, get involved in things. And, I, and like, what's your thinking and experience in the, excuse me, in the networking space? Like, is, who does this, <laughs> right? Like, like, is it, because obviously someone needs to come in everything, you know, what you're just describing, there's decisions to make there and like even day-by-day yeah, day interaction. Doctor, like, is, yeah. there, is there now like, container network admin? Like, like what, what kind of roles are filling that need? Because I assume that like if I really know how to like convert a screen into PDFs, like I'm an application developer, I'm probably not doing that unless I'm desperate. But yeah. like, like, what is that role and, and do people do it? Like, you know, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's developing. Like for, for quite a while I would say it was the platform, it was the platform team in general that was doing right. that work. Right now, it's kind of moving into more like a sec, de a sec DevOps kind of role and, and that sort of thing, where you have the people who are responsible for enforcing kind of the security posture of the company working alongside development teams to help them uh, understand what mm. changes need, what changes are needed, and how to implement those things. Right. right. In, in some companies, this is actually like a production engineering role. Right. But it actually does move more toward like if you are going to be a consumer of this platform. Uh, we still need to be able to protect and enforce a reasonable security posture for the company. Yeah. So we need to basically ensure that you get those resources so that you can be a good consumer of that platform, that you can accomplish your goals and still not like blow up the security posture of the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so that's where I, I feel like culturally it's changing, right? Like traditionally it's, it's been like platform, uh, it's been the platform team, whoever gave you that account to that, to that, um, to that system. But now I feel like it's kind of moving more toward people solving this in a production, uh, a production management or production systems role, where you have embedded people in different teams mm. responsible for the outcome or the, the usage of that platform, mm. right? And they're responsible to ensure that they're communicating up, like what? Right, right. And so I guess I mean I don't know. I'm just making this up in my head, but there's kind of like hmm, three three functions when it comes to like like networking as you're discussing in the Kubernetes world yeah. and other things. There's, there's the function of just like uh, your application being able to operate, yep. <laughs> right? Like, you know, because basically, uh, I don't know, with exceptions that are good or bad, like if you're running an application in Kubernetes, it's a distributed application, so you need a network just to like right. live. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to think about it at all, right? Right, right. think, oh, where am I going to get this IP address? No, right? And, I, I thought about the deployment. That should be enough. Totally, right? like, totally. And, the, <laughs> and then you have, yeah, exactly. And then you have the second concern that's sort of like more external facing, like the performance of things. Like, it, especially if it's higher scale where you need to add in more load balancers and interact with CDNs yeah. and everything. Yeah. But then the other thing that also seems like a 
new and interesting, maybe exciting, uh, like thing is like you can do security better. Like yeah. you can do security. I don't even. I don't know. It's another thing I don't know about. But it seems like you're given more handholds. <laughs> you're given more opportunity to like do stuff, yeah. uh, which is nice to layer on top of everything else there. Yeah, I mean, something you'll hear a lot of times, you know, in this industry is a thing called micro-segmentation. Micro-segmentation is the idea that we can, either through the construct of identity or, you know, understanding how to actually get really atomic with network policies and those sorts of things, be able to describe how to segment just some small part of an application from some other small part of an application. Right. right? Rather than gross grain controls. Are you allowed in the data center or are you not? Mm. That's like a that's like an external firewall problem, right? We're really familiar with how to solve that problem. Yeah, yeah. But can application talk to application B? Application A talk to application B? How do you solve that problem? Right. Your your like West East, not yours, but yeah. the West East metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's where and that's where that's where things like leveraging UPF to kind of implement this stuff. They put us as close to that endpoint as it, as we can get. Right. And we can dynamically change the network policy. Or the, or, or the um, security posture of that application very quickly without having to, without, without having to go back and configure all these firewalls and all this other stuff. That's the big payoff for this microsegmentation. Right, right, right. Is that if you can do it and you, and it's, you come, come up with a reasonable way to implement it and you allow your developers, say for example, to look at all the traffic that went by or was attempting to go by in the last couple hours and just pick the things that are supposed to be allowed and write network policy. This is a feature of the Cilium Enterprise UI. Right, if you if you enable that sort of self-service so that people can actually just do the easy thing, click the thing, and make it and make it so that this is now their network policy, and then that goes through an approval process if, if needed, um, then you have a much like you have a much more secure posture because you're securing all the way to the application yeah. rather than just to the very large data center. Right, lateral movement, as I think most folks know in security in security minded. Lateral movement is your biggest security risk. Once people get in, that's a big problem. But if they can get in and own everything else around them, that's a whole different problem. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and so so like I mean, as a as a last thing, um, you know, well, let me preface this by saying like to force yourself to answer the the following question, you know, because the answer is always like you know, it depends. It's flow, yeah. right? Like life. Everything is flow, right? Like, um, like when it comes to this type of networking, like, what's your model for thinking about when we're done with it? Not done, like we're not going to do it anymore, but that like it's now mainstream, right? Like, you know, DNS is done, <laughs> right? Like, there's we're not, we're not like scrapping to have it be the way that we do anything. Yeah. So like, like when you think about it, like, how would we know if we're sort of like done scrapping for this? This is an interesting one because I think that I think it comes down. You know, it's, it's actually, I've actually so I've worked in Kubernetes for quite a few years, and we've asked the same question. And I think the answer is the same. It's going to come down to like when it's boring. Like I was saying before, you're not when you are interacting with a Kubernetes API or your CI system or what have you. When you're thinking about how you're deploying your applications, you're not thinking about the network, and that's fine. Right? right. I don't want you to think about that. I want to enable you to think about the security of that network. I want you to be, I want to enable you to say, my application over here is not talking to this other application, and I want to know what's happening on the wire between them. I want some observability capability that lets me see that. Right? Uh -huh. I want to answer that question. That, 
these are all things I would consider check marks to tell me that things are done, right? Yeah. Right? And, and we've done that with Cilium, right? Cilium is an OSS project. I feel like we've actually, we're, we're at the place now where Cilium is a stable, solid option for pretty much any of, any of these environments. And I feel like it's in a better position to call itself done than a lot of the others that I've seen in the space. Right, right. So and where do you go from here then? Well, where we're going from here is, I think, you know, within Isovalent, we, we say sometimes that if there is a way to leverage eBPF in the stack that would give us some competitive advantage in this market, then the answer is yes. Right? So if we look at Tetragon, for example, one of the other security things we haven't talked about, Tetragon gives us the ability to actually what's happened, to know what's happening, again, at that Linux What kernel. is that then? Tetragon. What is that? It is, uh, the, it is the ability to instrument what's happening at the application layer. Right? Uh -huh. So before I said you can see like traffic moving back and forth between yeah. pods. With Tetragon, I can show you which process made the connect call. I can tell you what its Linux capabilities, which are like the permission system in front of the Linux kernel. I can tell you what capabilities it has. I can let you write application policy that allows or denies access to specific things within your underlying file system. Right? I can actually move you know, to different places in the eBPF stack and provide primitives that allow you to improve the security for all of that as well. And that's what's next for us, is like that piece of it, the service mesh piece of it, I think you know, that's, that's where we're headed. All right, that was fun. It's, I, every, every, like I said, I'm, I'm always pretty ignorant, so every time I talk with a networking person, I, f I feel a little bit better. Yeah, <laughs> I got it. That's yeah. right. I got it for now. A well, little bit more. Well, tomorrow, Alex, we have a whole lot of interviews. Yes. We've got five or six of them, so if anyone's watching in the live stream, turn in tomorrow. And thanks so much for yep. uh, coming okay. up here. It was, yep. it was fun to hear about. It was, uh, you, you got a nice way of explaining stuff that's not uh, thanks, Duffy. too technical. I appreciate it. Appreciate yep. it. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.